Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He is a Virginia Tech grad and a Notre Dame fan. Mike, first question for you. We got a great guest with us on tonight. Who is he? Tell us about him. Well, if you're from the state of North Carolina, you know this guy at the very least. He calls himself the Duke football aficionado on Twitter. We got Ben Swain with us, Sports Channel 8, WRAL, the sports fan, 99.9, the fan. You're on Sirius XM. Ben, you're just basically a renaissance man, man. I don't know what, what else to... Can't get rid of me. How else to really, yeah, I mean, I don't know how else to really describe you. How are you doing tonight? No, I'm good. I'm good. Well, we appreciate you joining us. Obviously, we're here uh, very excited to, that you're joining us to talk some Duke football. That's a lie. Uh, here. That's a lie right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thanks for calling me out on it anyways. Um, so, so, Duke in 2017 coming off of a 4-8 and eight campaign in 2016, which is on the heels of some uh, much better campaigns the few years before that. We'll get into that here in a little bit. First question I've got for you tonight, Ben. Uh, who's your prediction to win the 2017 Heisman Trophy, and why is it Daniel Jones? Well, before we get to that uh, great question, I, I do want to point out today is a huge day uh, in the Duke football community, and I promise I will not steer this down a political path by any means, but uh, with Trump actually threatening uh, nuclear warfare against North Korea, I believe the Rose Bowl is going to be back in Durham again this year. So uh, it's a huge day here in Durham, the Rose Bowl coming back, New Year's Day 2018, everyone's really excited about that, so uh, you know, we're, everybody's, everybody's pumped about Daniel Jones for Heisman, but you know, the Rose bowl just kind of, uh, it's a big day here. I'll just say that. It's like the 75th anniversary. We're getting the band back together. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, you, you know, Daniel Jones is, uh, he's, he's not going to win the Heisman, but, um, he's, he's a good quarterback. This guy's going to play on Sunday and, and, uh, I have no, no problem throwing uh, all my support behind him. He's he's really good, like legitimately good. Uh, not like good for a Duke guy, but like legitimately a good quarterback. Um, and, uh, you know, he'll, he'll never get the Heisman nod, but, man, he's, uh, he, he's the real deal. I'm excited to see what he's going to do in a sophomore year. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a surprise to all of us, Ben, when, of course, well, it wasn't really that big of a surprise when Thomas Hurt blew out his Achilles again because he's kind of uncoordinated. But Daniel Jones coming in as a true freshman and really coming out of nowhere and playing the way that he did last year um, behind an offensive line that was kind of shaky, a running game that was, uh, you know, injured, to say the least, and was shaky, shaky at best. Daniel Jones, of course, being the leading rusher. Um, that, and, that kind of and, and no receivers. That to say. And no receivers. And no receivers. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he had nobody <laughs> to really throw to, and he still put up the numbers that he did as a true freshman. So my question for you is, you know, you look at Daniel Jones, you know, and the offense as a whole. They're losing two offensive linemen, um, two offensive linemen starters, a bunch of role players. So – with Daniel Jones being as good as he was last year, it's going to be a one-man show on offense, right? Or are there other guys we need to be aware of outside of Daniel Jones? And will those players make enough of an impact for Duke to take a step forward heading into 2017? So I'll share a quick backstory on Daniel Jones coming out of nowhere because it's pretty interesting. So he committed to the Ivy League, and his high school coach was like, look, man, you're too good to play in the Ivy League. Let me talk to Cutcliffe and and uh, just let him know. And I'm gonna send him your tape and want him to look at it. And uh, Cutcliffe's response was, "Do not show this tape to anyone else. I don't want anyone else seeing this tape." And uh, he didn't. Do, he didn't go through the All Star circuit. He didn't do 
uh, any of the showcases his, his senior year in, in high school. And so, so yeah, nationally, he was definitely an unknown. But uh, Cutcliffe kind of did some work to hide this guy coming out of high school, which was a little bit interesting. And there was a lot of talk that he was going to start over Cirque anyway before the injury. Um, you know, using Cirque in a little bit of a hybrid role um, like, like they did before with Brandon Kinnett the year that they won the, uh, the, the Coastal Division. Um, so, you know, he, he was in the plans to begin with. But to answer your question about the other guys on offense, uh, last year was probably Duke's most talented crop of red shirts ever. And they had a lot of, uh, a lot of young players, a lot of true freshmen sitting out last year that really would have started at Duke any other year. Um, Scott Bracey, the, the big time wide receiver, uh, he was hurt last year. Um, and that was not a planned red shirt, but he did red shirt last year and, and didn't play, but he's a big time playmaker. Uh, a couple of running backs, a couple of offensive linemen, uh, and he's got a really good group of tight ends as well. So I actually think he's got more weapons around him this year than he did last year. Uh, the, the concerns really aren't on offense. I think the concerns are easily on the other side of the football. Yeah, well, speaking of the other side of the football, um, will the defense hold this team back? I mean, it's kind of fair to expect that. I mean, they weren't that great last year. I think it's safe to say, given the, given the depth and the talent they're losing on defense heading into this season, that will be the side of the ball that holds them back if, you know, Duke's pushing for bowl eligibility, right? Yeah, and they haven't really been that good the, the past few years uh, on defense. They've had some good players. They put a couple guys in the NFL. Um, Ross Cockrell's one. Jeremy Cash is another. They've got, you know, a couple of a couple guys in the NFL, but they just haven't really put up any kind of numbers to, 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 uh, to be proud of. Um, and it's, and it's really, uh, a shame because I think the, the offense does carry the team the, the defense can keep them in, in games and come up with stops when they need to. But yeah, like you said, for this team to really take a huge step forward, the defensive side of the ball is a problem. Um, it's really the secondary, you know, they've got really good linebackers. They don't put any pressure on the football, uh, the defensive line and, and the secondary is just not good enough to hold. So on those, uh, on those passing downs, when the quarterback's got time to throw, he's he's you know able to pick out targets downfield, and and they just give up so many big plays in the secondary uh, that it does hold the team back. You're absolutely right on that. So looking at it, so first of all, I want to make sure I got this straight. Uh, Parker Bain then is going to look really good standing on the sideline with a uh, you know a microphone on and uh, or a baseball <laughs> cap carrying a clipboard, right? Yeah, he. If if he's on the field, either uh, it's a big lead or there's a, a catastrophic injury that would just derail the entire season. Okay, so if Parker Bames on the field, it's either a really good thing or a really bad. <laughs> yeah, thing. yeah, there is no in between. Tune in later to find yeah. out. All right. Um, okay, so talking about it on a bigger level here, Ben. Um, David Cutcliffe has been running this program for a long, long time. I want to say this is his 11th season at Duke. Something like that. Yeah. How long can he keep this up? He's not a, he's not a spring chicken by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, it, it's, it's funny. Actually, was uh, again, you, one, he's not young. I was surprised he's young as he is. Um, I, I thought he was, you know, way up there in, in years, but he's he's not he's not that old. He just happens to look really old, and I guess that happens when you take over a Duke team from Carl Franks and Ted Ruth. Um, <laughs> but, but 
he's done a he's done a good job of uh, of keeping his assistants around, and uh, you know I, I don't know how long he'll be able to keep it up, but I think he's definitely set up the program to uh, be able to name that coach in waiting at some point, and and have that next guy step in and kind of continue what what he's done. Um, the the coaching staff is is strange. It's a really uh, tight knit family that you don't normally see in college football. Um, and, and, and I think he's done a good job of setting it up for the, for the future, uh, so that it doesn't fall back to the stone ages where it was a a few years ago. Um, but you know, I would guess maybe five, six, seven more years. Uh, we, we know he's not going to get fired. He's probably got the safest job in America. Um, so it'll, it'll be on his own terms when he does stop coaching at Duke. Ooh, so that does lead to my other question, which is he started the same year as another coach that we all know and love. And if I had to offer you a money line bet on who is either fired or voluntarily leaves their post first, is it David Cutcliffe or his good friend uh, down at Georgia Tech, Paul Johnson? <laughs> they're, they're really tight. They're really, really <laughs> tight guys. Um, man, I, I would I would say. Uh, that's a, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I, like I would never get rid of Paul Johnson. I love Paul Johnson. I would never get rid of him, but, uh, he loves rubbing people the wrong way. And, uh, <laughs> and I don't, I don't know enough about the, the climate at Georgia tech or the, the vibe inside the athletic office, but I, I'm guessing that he doesn't have the same type of rosy relationship with the rest of the athletic staff as, as Cutcliffe has at Duke. Um, so I, I I think I would if I had to if I had to bet I would guess that Cutcliffe's around longer than than uh, than Paul Johnson. But man, when when Paul Johnson leaves Georgia Tech, our lives are going to be so much more empty than they are right now. All I'll say is that if if you're saying that you would never fire Paul Johnson from Georgia Tech, you're smarter than a whole lot of Georgia Tech fans out there. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. No, but I could I could see it right. Like I could I could see where people just don't like him. He's not that lovable guy. He doesn't play that. Um, flashy uh, style that people get really excited about, but I love the grumpiness, and I, I love uh, I, I even love, and I won't call it a triple option because I don't want to piss him off in case he's listening to this. Uh, but <laughs> that would be something. But uh, I, I I love his. I just I'm a huge Paul Johnson fan, so um, that that's maybe I'm a little bit biased in that. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the fan base because Ben. Uh, if you don't know anything about Joey and I, which you probably don't, Joey and I love to make fun of Duke. Um, it's kind of our thing. We love to make fun of the fan base especially. So we'll kind of open this up to you a little bit. Um, do you think Duke fans got cocky after a few years of winning eight games? And how do you think that's going now that they went 4-8 and eight last year? Uh, I I think it's it, being up here, that question is funny um, because <laughs> anyone that is – like legitimately a Duke football fan and it's not a large number of people, but it's a very special number of people because they've endured things that no one else could physically live through uh, for as long as they did. Those, those seasons, those, those Owen 12 seasons are still fresh in everyone's mind. And uh, so if you're talking about the subset of Duke fans who are actual Duke football fans, there's there's no way that there's a, a level of cockiness around it. I think, uh, if anything, it's an excitement of actually being able to talk college football without uh, being embarrassed to do so. Um, so uh, it, it may come off as a little bit of, of an arrogance, but they are 
not anywhere close to the arrogance that you see from Duke basketball fans. And so that's what I have to compare it to. And it's not even the same ballpark. Um, you know, maybe expectations have gotten higher, but man, like even, even last year with, with the, you know, the four win season, being able to, to beat Notre Dame in North Carolina, that was enough for any, any Duke fan last year. Ben, I'm expecting that we'll check in with you here again in a couple of years after Duke has won a few more, you know, eight, 10 win seasons and there'll be a football school with a basketball team. Yeah, it's, it's, it's on its way. It's on its way there. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure. So real quick, um, pretty unpredictable that Daniel Jones would end up being as good as he was last year as a freshman, but was it even more unpredictable that he had the game that he had against Notre Dame and South Bend? It was so early in the season. I mean, we knew Notre Dame was not going to be the team that everybody expected him to be, but I think it was a little bit of a surprise to see Daniel Jones do what he did in South Bend as a true freshman, throwing four touchdown passes and all the yards that he threw for. Man, after seeing him throw, uh, I lost count. I'm going to guess it was it was six interceptions against Virginia. Again, I'm not looking at the box score, but uh, that's, that's a guess. After seeing what he did against Virginia, it's a surprise that he was able to throw the ball past the, the line of scrimmage. Um, so, yeah, going, in, going into South Bend and, and putting together uh, the, the second quarter and second half that he did, um, it was a different player. It really was a different player, and 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 from then on, uh, he personally was outstanding. You know, the the defense got worse throughout the year, and there were some uh, really big injuries, uh, unfortunately, on on both sides of the ball that kind of led to a tailspin down the, the the end of the year. But Daniel Jones was a different player from that game on, and and yeah, he was he was great in that game, and and uh, he made a lot of fans that day. I, I can't really understate how. I don't think it can be understated how like crazy it is that as a true freshman, not only did he go in and have a great day in beating Notre Dame in South Bend, but you know, the week later, again, you mentioned against Virginia, he, he threw one touchdown, five interceptions. The rest of the year, the other 12 games combined, he had 15 touchdowns and four interceptions for a true freshman quarterback. I mean, that is something else. That, that is just, that is amazing to me that he was able to pull that off. And uh, I think the most impressive thing was was the UNC game last year, the way that he managed the game. Um, you know, it, you see lots of talented freshman quarterback that can stand back there and pick out a receiver, but uh, his running in that game was special. Um, his clock management was special. Uh, you know, at the end of the game, he got a, a huge uh, he got a huge offsides on on UNC that um, pretty much allowed Duke to run out the clock uh, when, when Duke was driving. He just did a good job of, of managing that game. And then if you think about going up against uh, Lamar Jackson at, at Louisville, that was a, a weird game because you've got a really good quarterback and you basically tell him, uh, take as much time as you can. I just, no matter what, I want that other, you know, I want the Heisman Trophy winner on the sidelines as long as he can. And uh, he just, he chewed up so much clock. And so he did a lot of different things for Duke last year. That was interesting. Um and, and really kind of beyond what you would expect a freshman to do, other than just sitting back there being a gunslinger, uh, being able to play a slowdown game, being able to play a wide-open game, being able to run the ball. Uh, he, did, he did a lot of different things for Duke last year that um, definitely was a lot more mature than you typically see from a freshman quarterback. So if there's one thing that we know about the ACC, it's that there are a lot of unknowns at the quarterback position. 
and we know about Lamar Jackson, we know about DeAndre Francois. After that, it's really Daniel Jones and everybody else, right? And in the Coastal Division, we really only have, outside Daniel Jones, Kurt Benkert returning for Virginia. So it's it's a bunch of unknowns in the Coastal. How good is Daniel Jones as a quarterback conference-wide? Is he for sure the, the number three guy? Is he... Yeah, could he potentially be slotted behind some of these new guys coming in? I mean, a lot, a lot of hype behind the Cozy Perry at Miami, Josh Jackson, potentially Virginia Tech. Um, uh, there are a lot of new quarterbacks throughout the conference, but where do you rank Daniel Jones? Do you think he's right there behind Francois and Lamar Jackson? Uh, I mean, I, I think you you have to, to say yes right now just because we, we don't truly know about those other quarterbacks. But as – as we saw with Daniel Jones this past year and with Francois this past year, a new guy can, can come in and, and, uh, and make a name for himself right away. So uh, it's certainly the potential of one of those guys stepping up and having a, a banner year. And I would even say, I'll say this, there's no way he's taking over Lamar Jackson because he's just a freak, but I'm not so sure Daniel Jones isn't better than Francois because you can't really compare the weapons that either one of them has, but the, the stats were not that far off. Um, and, and I'm, I'm interested to see both quarterbacks on the same field this year. I mean, Florida state's going to win that game and they've got better players uh, all over the field. Um, but, but I am, I'm interested to see both quarterbacks up close to see what they can do. But I, I think it's tight between those two. Lamar Jackson's head and shoulders better than any other quarterback in the league. But yeah, I think one of those, the new guys can definitely step up and, and, and make a name for themselves um, just as easily as Francois and Jones did last year. Ben, one of the things you mentioned earlier, we, we were talking about Daniel Jones as being a one-man show and really thinking on your end, you said that you feel like there's probably more playmakers on this year's team than there were on last year. So if you had to pick one guy, and really it could either be offense or defense, who's the, who's the guy on the Duke team right now that we're not talking about right now that we will be by season's end? Well, the easy answer is the two linebackers, uh, Joe Giles-Harris and Ben Humphreys, um, are, are, are two of the best statistical linebackers in the conference. Um, but I would go with, uh, I'd go with the wide receiver, TJ Ramming. Um, he, was, he was a freshman last year, uh, put up some okay numbers. Um, but if you watch him play, he is almost a carbon copy uh, of Jamison Crowder. Um, same size, same style of play, same quickness, same route running. Uh, and, and I think with a year under his belt, um, I, I, I think that he's poised for uh, a, a big-time breakout year. Um, Scott Bracey is another one that people are talking about if he's healthy, uh, that he was you know, easily Duke's biggest recruit in the past three seasons, I would say. And uh, it'll be good to see him on the field. Uh, Keiston Fuller is an, another guy that a lot of a lot of people are talking about, and then um, you know the uh, the the running backs aren't bad. You know they're not, they're not great, but they're not bad. Sean Wilson um, can definitely put up some big numbers when he's able to find uh, holes. It's just a matter of can he get them. Um, really, for for Duke, if if you're not mentioning any uh, place kickers. Uh, then, then Duke should have a good a good season next year. But if you if you know the name of any of their place kickers, uh, that probably means that there's another like three out of twelve season uh, for for the for the field goal unit, and that's not going to get anything done. It, that was honestly the biggest difference last year, and and the, the reason that they missed a bowl. You know, the four and eight versus six and six. 
comes down to field goal kicking. Their kicker is just garbage, and uh, and they got to fix that this year. Yeah, their best player was their kicker for a while, and that tells you something. Um, so hopefully they've moved on from that, <laughs> and they're they're back to you know maybe six, seven, eight wins as as opposed to you know what happened last year with their yeah. rebuilding unit. Um, but Ben, we're gonna take a look at the schedule here. Um, Joey and I were talking about this a little bit. It's kind of it's kind of hard to talk about Duke just because there are so many unknowns on really both sides of the ball outside of Daniel Jones. I mean, the defense, as you mentioned, and, you know, as most listening will know, you know, hasn't been that good. There's been some NFL talent on that side of the ball, but, you know, they've struggled over the last few years, and they're going to struggle again this year um, just, just given the talent they've lost from last year's unit. But when you look at the schedule – I don't know where to really place this team. I mean, I, I think it could be any. Yeah, I mean, I think it could be anywhere from a three or four win season to like a six, seven, eight win season at its ceiling. Uh, you know, what do you make of this schedule just when taking a look at it from top to bottom? Well, if you if you look at it from the the names that are on it, right? Like if you if you th- if you look at Baylor and you think of Baylor as uh, you know two three years ago. Um, that that's a, a team that you don't want on your schedule. I, I know absolutely nothing about Baylor right now. Um, there's been so much turnover on that roster, new coach coming in, uh, Duke gets them pretty early in the year. You just don't know how any of that stuff is going to work out. Um, Northwestern is a team that's kind of the opposite where you see Northwestern and you think, oh, that's a win, but uh, that's a sneaky good football team. Um, that's, that's getting much better. And, uh, and, and so you don't know how that's going to go. And then you look at the Coastal, which we all know is such a crapshoot. Um, and, and I will say it's not from a everybody's bad point of view, which is kind of the, the joke around the ACC around the country is that the Coastal is just bad. Everyone is is pretty okay, right? There, there's, no, there's no juggernaut in the Coastal, but everyone's good enough to win games. And so – you know the team that wins the coastal could could win with like a, a five and three record and get just win like based on a tiebreaker, and uh, and Duke can be in that group, um, but so much of it depends on how these other teams that are kind of big question marks like we don't know uh, a ton about UNC we don't know uh, a ton about uh, Georgia Tech we don't know a ton about Virginia Tech and their quarterback situation, you know Miami everyone <laughs> feels good about them but. We felt good about them in the past, and look where that's gotten us. Uh, Pitt, who knows? You know, there's just so many like teams you think about and just shrug your shoulders, like what the hell? You know, like I have no idea how, how to rate any of these teams, and and so when you go into the season, coming off of a rebuilding year, seeing a lot of new faces in the lineup, and not having a, a real solid grasp of that team, but then you look at their schedule, and they've got six or seven toss-up teams that you don't know anything about them either it's impossible to say that and you you know you talk about like a best case worst case it it absolutely could be a two three win season it could absolutely be a nine ten win season you just you have no clue until we start actually seeing games and, and really get to see how these teams are on the field and uh it's not a, a duke specific thing i think you could say that for probably four or five teams in the coastal as well Man, you got to love the ACC. Um, so I, I will say, though, Ben, as I look at this schedule and some of the teams that are on it, I don't know that you could really set it up any better for Duke. 
Um, you get you mentioned Baylor, a team that is in total you know turnover. We have no idea what we're gonna get from them. Get them early. Uh, North Carolina, a team that lost a ton, has a ton to replace on really on both sides of the ball. Got them early. Uh, you get Miami, Florida State, Pittsburgh, Georgia Tech, all at home. You get Army the week before Georgia Tech is kind of like a faux bye week yeah. of sorts. Uh, road games at North Carolina, at Wake Forest, at Virginia. So none of them are really all that far. Uh, even at Virginia Tech is probably about as far as you got to go on the road, uh, except for West Point for Army. Yeah. But, you know, I I think that's part of this is that, like, I, I told Mike earlier, like, if you really kind of, like, squint your eyes and look sideways at this thing, you could – really kind of find eight wins in there in like a best case scenario. That's kind of crazy to me. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great schedule because you've got big names at home. Um, you know, the, the I would say the, the two two right off the bat that you're like, look, you're you're losing that game is probably going to be Miami just and again, I'm basing it off of others trust of Miami, but you know, I've been uh, two football games in Charlotte more times than anyone on the Miami roster has been. So, um, you know, there's not a lot of experience there, even though everybody's talking about how good they are. And then and then Florida State. You got both of those at home. So if something weird is going to happen, it's probably going to happen at home. And, and, and there you go. The other one is um, Virginia Tech up in Lane Stadium. Uh, Cutcliffe's actually got a two-game win streak right now in Lane Stadium. And uh, – so you, it's just a place that Duke plays well traditionally, um, but but you nailed it in that it's a tough schedule, but it it sets up it sets up like sneaky nice for Duke if they're going to do something. It's a really favorable uh, schedule in terms of timing, location, etc. So Ben, I'm going to be that guy and stick my neck out and make a prediction here on this schedule. Um, I, all right, NC Central, you give them a win. Northwestern and Baylor are honestly toss-ups. I think they win one of those two, probably not both. I think at UNC, I think this is a great year to get North Carolina, but I think on the road, you give them a loss there. Um, you know, don't feel great about the Miami game. I think Duke goes into Virginia and beats the Cavaliers. Virginia is a nightmare right now, and I'm a Hokie, so I'm a little bit biased in that regard. I'll be the first to admit that. But Virginia, I, I, you know, objectively speaking, Virginia is an absolute disaster right now. Um, they don't really know what they got going on either side of the ball except for Quinn Blanding at safety, and he's going to be gone after this year. Um, you know, Florida State, probably a, you know, probably a good candidate for a college football playoff. Don't love their chances even at home. Pittsburgh's a toss-up because Pittsburgh is, you know, like we've kind of alluded to here, it's really anybody's guess what we're going to get. Matt Canada's gone. James Conner's gone. Nate Peterman's gone. You really only have Quadri Allison and Quadri Henderson on offense. It's, you know, as Joey calls it, name that Quadri. Um, <laughs> and then at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, yeah, Cutcliffe has a two-game winning streak. Once again, my Hokie's going to come out of me here. I, I like Tech there. Army, I think that's a win. Wake Forest, I think that's a win. I'm not crazy about the Georgia Tech matchup, even though they get them at home. So I'm going to say four and eight. I could see five and seven, but I'm the same way. I mean, I think the Coastal Division is a complete and utter toss-up. Uh, so, you know, maybe they beat North Carolina. Maybe they surprise me and beat a team like Baylor. And, you know, I'm looking at Baylor as the best version of themselves like two or three years ago, but they're a completely different team and got all that turnover with the coaching staff, with the offense, with the defense. Uh, you know, four and eight, five and seven, I think is like Duke's sweet spot this year, but you know, maybe they win a couple more games than that. Who knows? 
Yeah, I think I think you, you nailed it with, uh, with with five and seven is probably the most likely outcome. Um, I I would take the over on that um, just because I, I think that uh, after last year and and having that taste of not playing in the postseason after playing in it for a few years, I think that there's a, a vibe around the, uh, the the camp so far this season based on on what I've seen and heard that there will be a game or two that they shouldn't win that, that they, that they end up winning. Um, and so I, I would take the over on that, but five and seven, I think is a pretty safe bet on, uh, on the record for Duke this year. So Ben, you thinking five and seven or six and six? Um, I, I would, I would say for, for me, if I'm guessing, I would say, I'd say six and six, seven and five. Um, although, like I said, five and seven is like, you look at everything on paper and that's what they should be. Um, but I think they, they win a couple that they shouldn't win. We're going to hold you to that. All right. Uh, I, Done. I think f- for me, I look at the schedule, and again, as favorably as it sets up, and then from all the upside on the offense that Ben has talked about, I think I'm going to go with the same answer I gave for Boston College. I think they're going to go 5-7. and seven. I think they're going to make a bowl on APR ratings. Such a cop-out answer. Sorry, not sorry. Dude, that's <laughs> two in a row, man. You're killing me. <laughs> I wish they'd be. I wish they would be able to play each other in a bowl if that happened. You know, like if uh, if two Ooh. teams get out on the five and seven provision, that they should play each other in a bowl. Is that like where? What was it last year where North Carolina played NC State in a non-conference game? <laughs> uh, I don't. It wasn't. It wasn't the state game, but they played Wake Forest. It was Wake Forest. They played a non-conference game. That's what it was. You're yeah. right. Yeah, I, I, I still have to remind myself that Boston College games are, are ACC games anyway. Uh, so. <laughs> It should count as a non-conference anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. Could be a Big East game. <laughs> exactly. Uh, ben, this has been awesome. Appreciate you joining us. Can you tell us where to tell all the people where they can find you? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, you said I could be find me anywhere, which is which is true. Uh, no, but my um, I, I would I would say uh, the the two best places to find me would be sportschannel8.com um, and then. WRALsportsfan.com uh, starting in two or three weeks here. Um, but those, those would be the best places to find me. That's awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. A lot of really good insights here. You know, please come back sometime soon. You're welcome anytime. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. All right, thanks, Ben. Yeah. All right, that's Ben Swain. Uh, you can go find him again uh, on Twitter at TheBenSwain and as, all, as well as on all the other television sites he just mentioned so please go find him he's all all sorts of good stuff on duke and other acc programs but uh mike we got to get out of here until the uh, the next time they can find us on twitter i'm at ftrs joey he is at mike mcdaniel acc and together we're at bc podcast acc uh you guys can send us an email with your questions comments concerns to the longest email address known to man basketball conference podcast at gmail.com nailed it yeah uh, you could also uh, find us on iTunes, on Google Play, on SoundCloud. And, Mike, where else can they find us? They could find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash basketballconference. Rate us, review us. I tell you every damn podcast to review us. For the love of God, all you people out there listening, please review our podcast. We know you're listening. We see all the listens, all the views on our podcast. Please review us. Like I've said before, I'm on a computer all day, too, and the last thing I want to do is go rate and review a podcast. But please do it. It would really help us out. We love you guys. Thank you for listening, but seriously, go review us. Uh, Yeah, so in the meantime, uh, Mike, this has been a lot of fun, but uh, you want to come back and do this again soon? 
Absolutely, buddy. God, this has been a sloppy uh, outro. Sorry about that. We'll work on that next time. Uh, until we return, uh, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, Mr. Ben Swain, I'm Joey Weaver. Thank you guys for listening. Go ACC. Go ACC.